Our gracious God, we give you great thanks that you're a God who speaks and uh, you reveal yourself to us so that we can know you and understand who you are and what it means to be created by you. Help us, Lord God, as we reflect on your word this morning to see your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was a, an, <clears throat> an interesting moment in a meeting I had with uh, our local state politician last week. Uh, a couple of ministers from around here uh, went to meet with our local MP to share our concerns about the conversion therapy legislation that is coming before Parliament at some time. Uh, it's a bill that kind of potentially limits our ability to love and care for people who struggle with same-sex attraction. Uh, and at one point in the conversation, this political leader said something like this. He said, he said you know, I reckon that if Jesus was here now, uh, I think he'd, he'd be a pretty knockabout bloke who wouldn't care less about who people had sex with. Uh, now, I didn't, but I was tempted to remind him of something that I was taught many years ago, and that is that there are plenty of people who will tell you what they think God is like. Uh, perhaps they think he's like a big angry policeman in the sky, or maybe they think God is just like this big friendly giant of, of some kind, or, or maybe like our politician who likes to think that Jesus is just a kind of knockabout guy who is happy for us to treat his good gift of sex however we want. Well, can I just say, it might tell us what he likes to think, but that's about it. Uh, it gets us no closer to knowing what God or Jesus is actually like. In fact, it, it reveals our arrogance and our ignorance. It's the very problem that we saw, if you were here, right at the beginning of this series in Psalm chapter 2, where we were introduced to the people and rulers who plot against God, who want to cast off his constraints. Uh, they will not listen to God. They, and so they, they don't understand who he is and what he's really like. And God, we're told, will hold them accountable for their rebellion. But God has not left us in the dark. He has spoken. He has revealed himself to us so that we might know him. In fact, the one who is blessed, which is the kind of title of this series, the one who is truly happy, is the one who listens to God's voice and finds refuge and peace in his eternal king. And so what should our, our response be to the true God? It's an important question, I think. Uh, probably the most famous question in uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this question. It says, what is the chief end of man or humanity? And then the answer that it gives to this is, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, can I say that's an answer that Psalm 29 would agree with? Uh, so let's just have a closer look at it. Uh, Psalm 29 is attributed to King David. Uh, have a look at what he calls for in verses 1 and 2 of that psalm. He begins, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And David issues a call to give God what he is worthy of. That's a psalm that is uh, uh, written for God's people but it includes the heavenly beings in its scope here. That is, all creation, even the angels, are called on to give to God the glory that he is due. That is, we should not withhold the glory that God is due. And that is how we worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, verse 2 there. 
That is, we set God apart as worthy of all glory, of all honour, of all praise. And then we, we are set apart to live for his glory and honour and praise. We ascribe to him, that is, we assign or we attribute to him the glory that truly belongs to him and no other. Which is why idolatry is so wrong. I mean, those who worship idols take what God has done and attribute it to a a dead bit of wood or a piece of scrap metal or indeed to something else. So how do we do it then? Well, we won't ascribe to God the glory he is due unless you truly know and understand your God and the glory that he is due. Uh, J.I. Packer asks in his book, Knowing God, do you truly know your God? And then he goes on. He says, for what higher, more exalted and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? And for uh, King David, the knowledge we need to have is bound up in his name. Did you notice there? 18 times. David uses God's personal name, Yahweh, uh, that is the Lord in capital letters, in this short psalm. It's a name which, which actually describes his character. But interestingly, David focuses on just one aspect of God where his glory is seen. That is the glory that we see in God's voice, uh, in his word. And let me just pick it up there from verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. Seven times David refers to the voice of the Lord in this section here. And so clearly he believes that the voice of the Lord displays God's glory somehow. See what is said about God's voice here. The voice of the Lord uh, is over in verse 3. It's powerful, verse 4. It's full of majesty, verse 4. The voice of the Lord breaks, verse 5. It shakes, verse 8. And it makes, verse 9. That is, the voice of the God, the voice of, the law of God is the way that he exercises his great power. And David actually uses the imagery here of the storm to describe God's great power and glory. Uh, in verse 3, notice, the voice of God is over the waters. It seems likely to be a reference to the original creation in Genesis chapter 1, where the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And God simply spoke, and the whole creation took form and came into existence. See, the power of someone's voice, the power of their word, is dependent on the power of the one who speaks, isn't it? I mean, so Anthony Albanese could say, let there be a six-lane highway between Sydney and Canberra, and it would happen by virtue of the power of who he is. And of course, Anthony wouldn't build it himself. I mean, all kinds of public servants would leap into action and uh, Anthony's word would be done. But God doesn't need people to do things for him when he speaks. 
that God simply speaks and our universe comes into existence is mind-blowing power and glory. But have you noticed that what God speaks into existence itself speaks out for God, that is the creation? That creation itself declares the glory of its maker. Uh, Have a look back to Psalm 19 with me for a moment. I think I've got it on the screen here. I hope I have. Psalm 19, otherwise you can flick back. Uh, Here's what he says in Psalm 19, uh, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And notice that, there, that no part of creation is silent about the glory of its creator. The heavens declare, the skies proclaim, each day pours out speech, each night reveals knowledge. No one, no one misses out on seeing and hearing the glory of God because creation's voice goes out through all the earth. Every single corner of the universe carries the fingerprint of God. Creation never stops talking about the majesty and glory of God. See, God speaks to each one of us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, through the world that he has made. And so if the creation itself declares and gives God the glory he is due, then how much more should the part of creation that is made in his image, you and I, Declare and give him the glory that he is due. But we also must be aware of the power of his voice. Uh, That is, we've been reminded here, aren't we, that it's a voice that thunders over many waters. Whether that's the flood that brought God's judgment on the intolerable level of human rebellion at the time of Noah. Or maybe it's the spectacular deliverance when God parted the Red Sea to rescue his people. He rules over all the mighty waters, whether storm or flood or raging sea. See, God is not controlled or at the mercy of his creation. He controls his creation. He rules over it. God's voice is powerful as it rules over the waters of creation. And it's majestic in its expression and its wisdom. In fact, so powerful is God's voice, we're told that it even breaks In fact, it tears to shreds the great cedars of Lebanon. They were legendary for their size and strength, or they are, and yet God's voice can unleash a storm that can rip through them all. And there are no limits either here to the power and reach of God's voice, as we're told in these passages that it thunders from Lebanon in the north down through the mountains of Sirion to the shaking of the wilderness of Kadesh in the south. Both nations and nature come under the ultimate rule of God. Such is the might and power and glory and majesty of our God. See, when we truly know our God, we won't treat him lightly. We will stand together as those gathered in the temple did and cry out, glory. We will know as they knew that all glory belongs to our Lord and God. How foolish are those who want to tell us what they think God is like. As if there is any reason whatsoever we should listen to their ignorance. God hasn't left us in the dark. He has spoken and he has revealed himself to us 
And King David saw things very differently, I think, to how most non-believers would in our day. That is, they see the, the lightning and thunder and storms and the hurricanes, the earthquakes, the floods, and they just kind of see the, the physical properties that cause them, things like low-pressure systems, etc. Uh, insurance companies, I think, used to be closer to the money. That is, in the past, many insurance companies had a clause in their policies that was given the title, Act of God. It's actually a legal term for events that were outside of human control. Things such as sudden floods or other natural disasters for which no one can be held responsible, especially not the insurance company. Uh, and it was their way of explaining the unexplained and the uncontrollable aspects of our physical world. But for King David, it's not unexplained. He knows that our creator has control over his creation. Believers know that the physical properties that the experts talk of to explain natural events have been built into our physical world by its creator and that God himself speaks in thunder and lightning. And so the only right response for the people of Israel was to gather together in the temple and with a sense of humility and awe to proclaim God's glory. And I think it's a timely reminder for us, isn't it? Our danger, uh, one danger of modern Christianity is being perhaps too chummy with God. That is, we, we rightly emphasise, don't we, that God is our loving Heavenly Father. He is. That he's brought us near. That he's concerned for the very details of our life. That we are family members, brothers and sisters with Christ. That he calls us friends. Yes, all those things are true. We get that. We get the family closeness, and so we should. What we can sometimes forget is the godness of God, that he is the creator and we are the creature, that he made and sustains all things, and that we are made and sustained by him. Now, at times I think we forget the enormity of this God who made us his friends. It's kind of like the elephant holding hands with the ant. You know, we need to remember who we're holding hands with. I mean, church in the past, church buildings and architecture used to actually be designed to remind you that God was mind-blowingly big and that you were puny, that you didn't enter lightly into the presence of the Almighty. The problem is that it highlighted your separation from God. I mean, these days we realise that a building doesn't bring you into the presence of God. That only happens around God's word through the power of his spirit. But there are times when we are in danger of forgetting that our God is an awesome God in the true sense of that word who reigns over the entire universe forevermore and that one day soon every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that, whether it's willingly or not, that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God our Father. And so when we truly recognise his glory, we actually cannot help but declare it. It's not hard to see, really, why uh, the psalm ends by focusing on God's universal rule over all creation and every nation forever and ever here. Uh, look at verse 10 and 11. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. 
Now, politicians often position themselves on the right side of those they suspect may be the next leaders of their parties. Uh, they align themselves uh, with the one who has the power to promote or demote. They understand where the power lies and they want to be on the right side of it while it lasts. But God has no rival. He is no temporal ruler. He's enthroned forever. And so what really matters in this world is whether you've aligned yourself with this ruler, the Lord of glory, who is enthroned forever, because God is king over, the, over all the earth, and his plans and his purposes for this world will come about. No one can stop them. And yet the great thing is that God invites us to come and be a part of this grand story. Now, the rebellion of our world against God is visible everywhere at the moment, isn't it? But there is absolutely nothing to fear. God is not in danger of losing his place as God, no matter who wishes to oppose him. I mean, not only is he victorious, but he wants to share his victory with everyone who aligns themselves with him, to those who listen to his voice who ascribe the glory that is due his name. He blesses, he says, with his strength and peace. Now, one commentator noted that uh, the psalm here, Psalm 29, which starts with glory to God in the highest, ends with peace on earth. Now, that actually, I think, ought to be a hint to how God blesses his people with peace. Now, we saw it in the familiar Christmas reading from Luke's Gospel just a little earlier. I remember at the, at the birth of Jesus... The angels announced that he would bring peace to men and women on earth. And in uh, a little later on in the New Testament, Romans chapter 5, uh, it helps us see how he achieves that peace on our behalf. See what the Apostle Paul writes here. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You see, it's through Jesus that we can have peace with God. When we align ourselves with Jesus, we are aligning ourselves with God himself. All of us were once enemies of God. But through Jesus' death, our rebellion was paid for. See, that is exactly what we were promised back in Psalm 2 that all those who come to God's King Jesus will find refuge from God's judgment. So that now, when we put our trust in Jesus, we have peace with God while we wait, rejoicing that one day everyone will see the glory of God. And in the meantime, we live every day with our chief aim being to live lives that glorify God and enjoy him forever. Can I just say that life lived this way really is the blessed life. Uh, the American preacher and author John Piper uh, is well known for a particular phrase that he made famous. It has become the mantra of his life's work. And it really comes from this question about what is the chief end of man in the Westminster Catechism. Uh, and Piper's phrase goes like this. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. In other words, Piper would argue that the Bible teaches that the truly blessed life is the one that listens to the voice of God 
and finds peace and joy in him. See, peace really is a mark of the blessed life, isn't it? And peace in our marriages, peace with our children or our extended family, peace in my workplace, peace in our world, peace in our hearts, peace with God. You see, here is where true blessing and contentment is found. And can I say, here is why Jeffrey and Felicia and JP and Winnie and Toma and Shirley have baptised their kids this morning. And it's why another eight people will be baptised outside afterwards. Because they have listened to God's word that promises peace and they have put their trust in Jesus. They know the peace and joy that God offers. And they want that for their kids and for themselves and they want it for their families and for their friends. And the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is the voice of God. He is the word of God made flesh who gives strength and brings peace to his people. And so whenever you go looking for something else to make you happy or content besides God, you can be sure that you never will. Nothing has the capacity to make you happy or content but your creator and your saviour, Jesus Christ. Nothing else can do it. And the great thing is, if God is enough for you, if you are most satisfied in him, then he will be most glorified in you, in your life, as you live it out. And so no wonder the angels burst into song at the birth of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you are a great God indeed. And Father, we do pray that you might forgive us for the so many times that we just forget just how glorious and mighty that you are and how we go about life thinking that somehow we are in control when we know in our hearts that that is not true, that you are God and we are not, that you are the creator of all things, And our lives are sustained every day by you. And so we thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world. By whom we have forgiveness of sins. And where we can know peace and joy that is eternal. And so we thank you in Jesus name. Amen.